in a word of prayer.
Thank you, Brother Robert. Sure do appreciate that. Um, well, I like always I'm a very, very weak vessel, <laughs> I feel. And I always like to have some kind of confirmation about, uh, you know, some direction to have my mind settled on. And I, I ought not. The Lord says it is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And I often feel that I'm definitely evil and adulterous. I pray that I'm not. But in Brother Robert's prayer, he he said, asked that he might be with the preacher as he teaches. Well, that's what I've got on my mind this morning. You know, when we come, uh, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. Let's see, what did Paul say over here? First Corinthians chapter, I think it was the end of that, well, the beginning of the second chapter, Paul said uh, in and I'm not going to use this for my text this morning, but I, as a as a minister of the gospel, this is what we strive for. This is how we want to be when we stand before God's people. We want to be able to sh- share with them the gospel, and in, in, and that is the thing that is centered around. It is all about. It is exclusively about Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, when he came to the church there at Corinth, he says, and I, brethren, this is just reading a few verses here in the beginning of the second chapter, 1 Corinthians. He says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. And, you know, I try to use some excellent speech sometimes. I do. I feel like I'm, I like, I like to, I like people to think well of me. And see, that's wrong, I think. I think that's totally the wrong motivation when I'm up here to want people to think well of me. You see, if I'm preaching the gospel, and if it's if it's spirit led, and the goal is you won't even see me, you know. Paul says, brethren, I came to you. When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, but declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now that's the gospel. I want to talk a little bit this morning. If the Lord would help me to do so, I pray He does. And the Lord is always near. The problem is, oftentimes I get away from Him. But I want to talk a little bit today about the motivation behind preaching. And maybe the goal, the goal of preaching. The gospel, that is. The motivation behind preaching the gospel and, and maybe the goal of preaching the gospel I'm going to try to use for my text this morning, at least we're going to start here in Colossians. I've been reading reading um, in the book of Colossians some. I tried to preach out of the first chapter the last time I was in this stand. 
And um, so I'm going to try to share some thoughts with you, maybe a little bit from the end of that first chapter and the second chapter, maybe if I can. But again, this is the Apostle Paul, and I, he's one of my, um, he's one of the finest examples of a preacher we have in Scripture. And um, when I, you know, I like to look into what it is Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say because it used him as a, a vessel to honor, to, to declare the riches of Christ. And that's, as he begins here in this second chapter, he, that's what he has in mind or as, as he begins to speak. He, he's, listen to what Paul says. This is Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. Now that is... Uh, Oftentimes, that is one of the things that motivates a preacher. It is conflict. Uh, not, you know, not necessarily conflict in the congregation or conflict in the world, because that's, I mean, you know, when you have people, there is conflict. <coughs> but the conflict that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is an internal conflict. It's a conflict that he has uh, inside himself. Paul has this internal conflict. Uh, I remember one place in Scripture he says, you know, I, I, to, uh, to live is Christ, but to depart is gain. <laughs> it would be so much better if I could just get rid of all this trouble and this, this hassle and just be in the presence of the King. And he said... Uh, but I, I know that being with you is more needful. It's more needful. Paul says, I, I would that you knew, brethren, what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not even seen my face in the flesh. Now, I'm oftentimes I'm asked to... I've, been asked to go places and occasionally I just say no brethren I'm brother I'm not I I don't feel called to go a lot of preachers do a lot of preachers feel like they ought to go wherever they are called to go and wherever they're asked to go and they go all over the country um brother Eddie is in Arizona he's preaching for that little church over there they've been without a pastor for a long time and he has made a regular a trip over to see them for the last was it three or four years maybe and so he's been he'll go over there and spend some time and I had a brother ask me one time he says don't you do the work of an evangelist <laughs> that's one of the things that the apostle Paul told to Timothy he says do the work of an evangelist now I just don't feel like I've been called to be an evangelist I feel like that my ministry is right here this is where I've been called and and I don't do a good enough job here, much less go somewhere else and try to preach the gospel. So I'm just going to stay right here and preach the gospel when I can. But I do have a conflict for those all over the world that are the Lord's people. In uh, the ninth chapter of, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, 
ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul talks a little bit about that. Again, he talks about this conflict that he has. Uh, I think it's an internal conflict. He says um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Mm. Let me just go go to verse 16. He says, uh, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. That's kind of gets back to what I was talking about from the very beginning there. I, you know, some I like to look good. I don't like to look stupid. I mean, I like to look good when I'm at least when I'm preaching so that, you know, people might look beyond that. But Paul says, uh, over in, I guess it's the, um, I guess it's this book, beginning of this particular book. He says, you know, the foolishness of preaching saves some. And it's, sometimes we may seem foolish. Paul says here, he says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for, for, for necessity. For necessity is laid upon me. Necessity is laid upon me. What For what reason? What kind of necessity? The necessity, the burden to preach the gospel. And he says, woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Now, all of us aren't the Apostle Paul, for sure. I, I, I wish I could be probably as eloquent as he was and convincing and... I. And again, I know it's not him. First Corinthians 15 and 10, for by the, Paul said, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so, so that is all we can hope for is just the grace of God will allow us to speak the things that we need to. But it's a burden for preachers to come and declare these things over and over and over again. You, you know, you would think, well, I mean, you've just got one book. I mean, surely you can get through that. But, but every time I go back to the one book, I see something different. I see something new. The Lord shows me a little more and a little more. I feel like if, if, if I even knew a tenth of what was in here, my head would explode. Just so much there. Paul says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is unto me. Why? He goes on and tells us why. He says, because he's been called. A dispensation has been laid upon him. He's been called to preach the gospel. He has to preach the gospel. And even if he doesn't preach the gospel, uh, he's going to pay for not preaching the gospel. I think about uh, Brother Jonah. You remember Brother Jonah, right? Brother Jonah was called to preach the gospel to the Ninevites. The gospel was, you repent and God will have mercy on you. And Jonah said, man, I don't like those Ninevites. I don't like them. They're just a mean bunch. And I know, God, you're a good God. I know you're a forgiving God. And I know if they do what I say, you'll do what you say. And so he went the other way. He got swallowed by a fish, a great fish. I've I've never been swallowed by a fish before, but I I have struggled. I have had conflict. Sometimes when saying no to somebody, I, I don't feel like I need to go there right now. When I haven't preached the gospel, when I'm not faithful enough. I have a great conflict about that. 
<coughs> the prophet Jeremiah in uh, the 20th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, I, I know, I, I, I know that we can never experience the kind of things that, you know, many of these preachers of old did. But I sometimes try to picture how Jeremiah felt. Now I come, I, I come here. I come to a place where people are They want to hear what it is God has to say. They want to hear it. Now, of course, Jeremiah was preaching before the the complete revelation of God's Word. Jeremiah Jeremiah didn't know Jesus. Jeremiah didn't know who to preach. Jeremiah didn't know about that finished work of Christ. All he knew was what he had right there at hand, and, and, and that was that God is... That you're in trouble if you don't repent. And well, at the point that Jeremiah was preaching, they had not repented enough times that they were in trouble. <laughs> they were about to be uh, taken off to Babylon into captivity. And so Jeremiah was preaching what it was that God said preach. Jeremiah was preaching to them that, listen, you have, you have uh, made your bed, you're going to lay in it. <laughs> and they didn't like it. Jeremiah got to a point Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, beginning. This is is the ultimate of conflicts for the preacher. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Now eventually they tied Jeremiah up and threw him down in a pit. Eventually. But this is where he was. He was preaching. He was preaching and it wasn't very popular. And Jeremiah said, verse 9, he says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him. I just won't. I'm done. I wonder how many times Brother Houston said he was done. (laughs) He's told me of a few. I know there's been a lot more. I know personally I've had many, many times when I said I'm done. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. And there's that great conjunction. But. But. His word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. Not that he couldn't stay in one place. Well, I guess that's really what it means. He couldn't stay. He had to go. He had to preach the gospel. He had to preach. He had to preach what he was sent to preach. The gospel just overwhelmed him. I think about that, the motivation behind preaching. Paul says in our text, he says, For I would, or I I wished you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them that are at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted. You know, the idea of the gospel, of course, we don't preach the gospel or the, or the, the 
we don't preach like Jeremiah preached because at the time Jeremiah was preaching, he only had he only had a very little view. Uh, Peter says uh, that the prophets of old wish they could see this thing that we see, <laughs> wish they could see the finished work of Christ. They they wanted to see that, but just at that time that they were, they they didn't they weren't allowed to see it. <laughs> they didn't have the privilege of seeing it. But brothers and sisters, we can see the whole gospel today. We can see the whole story. We can see the finished work of Christ today. We have the privilege of seeing that in so many people. And you can just sort of look around today and, you know, not that our, you know, we're, we're down a bunch today, not because they don't want to hear the gospel, but, but because that they're hindered in one way or another. But brethren, even when all of our people are here, are, we still got a lot of empty seats. Why is that? I don't know. People just love the world, love the things of the world more than they love hearing the gospel. And that's the thing that torments the preacher the most. You know, I see it. Why can't everybody else just see it? <laughs> Verse 2, Paul says, my desire, he continues on with that that desire, that wish for them. He says, uh, and of course, he back up just a little bit in that. He says, um, this is what I'm set apart for. I'm called to preach this. He says, um, end of that 23rd verse there, he says, you know, that's the gospel which you have heard of me and which is preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. That's that's what I'm set apart for. I'm a minister of the gospel. He says, my desire as a minister of the gospel, verse 2, is that their hearts might be comforted. The whole idea, the whole motivation, I think, the biggest motivation behind preaching is that God's people might be comforted. That God's people might rest uh, the the writer of the book of hebrews talks about that rest that god's people uh, should press into should try to find they should look for that rest the rest that's in the gospel because they're always seeking to to accomplish something that they can't accomplish for themselves and it is in the, it's in the gospel that you can find rest uh, paul says uh, over in the book of acts um if i can find it right quick the book of uh let's see Paul says, speaking in the, in the book of Acts, he's um, speaking to the, the brethren there in, in uh, Antioch. He says, uh, this is the first time he got there. He says, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this word of salvation sent. I'm sending you this message. This is the message of salvation. It's for your comfort. And he goes on. This is, in case you're wondering, this is Acts 13. Uh, I'm going to pick up at verse um 38, he says, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that that uh, through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins. You, sins, your sins have been forgiven. How? Through this man. That's the gospel. And he says, and by him, all that believe are justified from all the things from which you couldn't be justified under the law of Moses. You see, that's what the gospel does for God's people. It brings them comfort. It brings them peace in knowing that their sins have been forgiven. That's the desire of the preacher. That's the motivation behind preaching, that, that we might, that you might be comforted. Uh, Paul preached over in, uh, 
Paul talked about preaching in there in the, the ninth chapter, tenth chapter of the book of Romans. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. <laughs> Paul, Paul was praying for those people, his people, the Jews, that they might be saved. Saved from what? Delivered from that old law of Moses because they were all tangled up in that law of Moses. They were still trying to accomplish something that they couldn't accomplish for themselves and it's already been accomplished for them. Paul says, oh, I wish that they could just be delivered from that. And brethren, there's so many people out there in this world today that are still struggling to accomplish something that only God accomplishes for them. And they just don't see it. Paul says, for I would. I wish that you knew what kind of conflict I have for you. He says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Of course, that's one of the things that's the great the blessing about being in a congregation, being in a church. And Paul uses this kind of analogy all the time about being knit together or being built up together in the house of God. Uh, he uses that analogy over in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, talking about being built up together. Well, how is it that what, what does that do for us? Well, it it allows us to get comfort from each other, to strengthen each other. Um you know, when, when one of us is hurt, all hurt with them. When one of us is glad, all rejoice with them. Knit together in love and under the riches. And listen to this. To the full. Let me just read that so I get all the words. He says, um, verse 2 again, he says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto. Here's my desire. Paul says, unto. Unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding you hear all that unto uh, unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding or what what is that what is that you know oftentimes and I, I use this analogy all the time because it's because it's it's ex, experiential Some days I, I wake up and I think on the day before and I, you know, I don't claim. And we ought to claim. <laughs> Every day when we wake up, we ought to claim the same blessings and the same uh, uh, benefits that David had. We ought to claim that. Every, his mercies are new every morning. We ought to claim that. <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> we ought to claim those things every morning, but oftentimes I don't. <laughs> I'll get up and I'll look at that man in the mirror and I'll think, man, you are just a rotten person. It's, a, it, it's experience that tells me that. And I think there is no way. See, I'm just fooling myself. There's no way God loves me. He can't possibly love me. And then there are days when I get up and I'm just, I think, know he loves me you see that's full assurance it's something that i don't have every day i don't have that full assurance every day i wish i could have it but paul says you know my desire my my desire for you is that you would just have full assurance in what in yourself confidence in yourself no absolutely not full assurance in the finished work of christ Amen. Paul says here, he says, and that you might know, he says that you meant all the, unto the riches of the, the full assurance of understanding to what? To acknowledging 
And he, he brings up again that mystery. The mystery. The mystery that was hid. You remember Jeremiah when he was preaching? He didn't have the full story. He just preached what he was told. Same thing with Brother Jonah. Jonah didn't have the full story. He didn't know the name of Jesus. He just preached what he was told. Micah, the, uh, no, it's Malachi. Malachi, the prophet Malachi, when he preached, he, he, I think that book begins with the burden of the word of the Lord. Heavy burden that he brought. Because he didn't have the full story. But brethren, we have the full story today. We have this, this mystery has finally been revealed to us. What is it? Uh, he says over there in this, uh, just the previous chapter at the end of it, he says, uh, talks about that, that he's been made a minister of. He's a minister of the gospel. Uh, verse 24, who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up uh, that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for uh, his body's sake, which is the church. He says, whereof I am made a minister. That's I get to do that, Paul says, according to the dispensation of God, which is given in me to you. He says, for uh, it's given to me for you. He says, to fulfill the word of God. What is that? Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but it's now, it's finally made known to the saints. What is it? The mystery is to God, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, if you have any hope of glory, it's not because of something that you've done. It's not because of, uh, of something that you can do for yourself. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the deliverance that Christ works in you. That's the hope of glory. That's the gospel. And you see, when, when we preach the gospel, our, our desire, the motivation behind that is that you might understand this thing. That you might understand what the gospel really is. You see, oftentimes we confuse the gospel with an advertisement. The gospel is not an advertisement. Do you understand the difference between an advertisement and a declaration? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen. That whosoever believeth, you know what that word believeth is? It is a present participle. You know what that means? It means are right now currently doing that. Right now, it's not an advertisement. It is not an offer. It's a declaration. And brothers and sisters, whosoever believeth, who is currently right now actively believing in Christ, guess what? You have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Paul says, that's my heart's desire. I just want to do that. I want, to, I want you to understand that. The acknowledgement is that sort of the last word there. Acknowledgement of the mystery. What does it mean to acknowledge something? It simply means to accept it as truth. That, that's the key. You see, so often we, and, and that's our problem. <coughs> There's so much involved in, I mean, there's so many different doctrines and teaching in this book. You know, we have, uh, you know, we have all the various doctrines and, and I think sometimes I, I, I overload too much with doctrine. Um, but it's important. Doctrine is important. But we have all these various doctrines in Scripture, but there's one doctrine that we teach that is unlike all the other doctrines that, that we really have. You know, we have, and I'll, let me just hit the, the, the high points of the, the, the main doctrine that we have. We, we call it the doctrines of grace, uh, but we have what we call the, 
the TULIP doctrine, okay? We use that acronym because it, it hits the high points of the doctrines. Uh, T-U-L-I-P. T, huh, total depravity of man. U, uh, unconditional election. L, limited atonement. I, irresistible grace. P, the preservation of the saints. Now, but we have one doctrine that we teach here that, that is involved in this. It's part of that process and we call it conversion. And you see, it is different for every individual. While all the other doctrines that we teach are the same, they're exactly the same. You, 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 me, every one of us are born totally depraved. Exactly the same. Every one of us come into this world totally to pray. We're exactly the same. Atonement. Atonement applies to every single person who has ever atoned exactly the same way. Grace. Irresistible grace. Now I'm talking when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it works exactly the same way for every individual ever born. Born again. Uh, John 3.8. John, it's just a good example of that. Let me just read that so I don't mess it up. John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, um, listen, don't, don't marvel about this. Don't wonder how this works. Because I'm going to tell you. Verse 8, he says, the wind. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the new birth. He's talking about irresistible grace. Okay? Now, if grace is actually irresistible, you can't resist it. <laughs> okay? All right. The wind, and he's talking about how the Holy Spirit brings the new birth. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Not most people, okay? Most people don't get born again this way. Everyone who is born again is born again this way. It happens the same way every single time. And that's why the Lord says it happens to everyone this way. Everyone that is born again, it happened to them just like that. The, the, the preservation of the saints. Well, how does the preservation of the saints occur? How does it work? Does it work by us doing something? No, it works by us being preserved in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us, it works exactly the same for. We've got one doctrine that's a little different. And that is our conversion. And it works different for every individual because it, because conversion is a process. Conversion's not a thing that's instantaneous that happens to everybody in the same exact way. Conversion is a process. And brothers and sisters, some days I'm, I'm converted a whole lot more than others. My conversion works like this. But that's the motivation behind preaching the gospel is your conversion. My conversion. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, when he's talking about preaching the gospel, he says, uh, he talks about preachers here. Verse 11, 4 11. Talking about some of the things that the Lord did for the church. What did the Lord do for the church? Well, the last thing in that list is pastor teachers. He gave the church pastor teachers because the preacher is supposed to teach the people. For what? What reason? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. How in the world are you going to know what it is the Lord would have you do if you've never been told what the Lord would have you do? You see, that's conversion. How are you going to know? Now, let me get to another aspect of preaching here. That end of that chapter there, I was talking about earlier, Romans chapter uh, 
10. Romans chapter 10. When, when the Apostle Paul was preaching there uh, to the Jews, uh, he said, well, he was preaching to the Gentiles, but he was talking about the Jews. He says, my brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That they might be delivered. If you, if you go back and you look for that, that's, that's the word that's used there. In, uh, I believe it's Habakkuk is where that Paul uses that, that quote from. But it's about preaching. It's about preaching and it's about the people listening and believing the preaching. And what was Jeremiah's problem? They didn't believe his preaching. What was, what was um, Brother Jonah's problem? Brother Jonah's problem was that they did believe the preaching. They got forgiveness because they did believe it. And he didn't want them to. He wanted to be wiped out, but they, they did believe it. And God spared him. Here, Paul says, uh, <clears throat> verse 11. I'll start at verse 11. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Again, this is Paul preaching the gospel. He, his desire is for a full assurance, or what was that word? Acknowledgement. An acknowledgement of the truth. An acknowledgement of that truth. What is that truth again? That truth that we always talk about here, that truth is the finished work of Christ. If a work has been finished, what's left to be done? Acknowledging it. <laughs> well, I mean, that, let, me, let me get back to that. Let me get back to that in just a minute. Because acknowledging requires something. Does, does acknowledging something make it so? No, I don't think so. I don't. See, again, that's where we get back to that difference between a, 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 an advertisement or an offer and a statement of fact. You see, there's a difference there. You see, acknowledging the truth doesn't make it so, but boy, it sure will help you. It sure will help you. Paul says here to these brethren, he says... Uh, uh, let me start at verse 11. He says, For the Scripture says, Whosoever believeth on Him, what? They shall not be ashamed. You won't be ashamed. If you will just put your faith and trust in Christ and quit trying to work out your own salvation, you will not be ashamed. You will not be disappointed in the results. He says, For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. He says, For the same Lord over all is rich Unto all who? Listen to what he says. And this is, this is what? This is conversion to the truth. This is conversion. And it happens different. It's different for everybody. You see, because there's so many people that never call on the Lord. That's what he says here. He says, um, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. He says, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call on him. You get back to the point of preaching. The goal of pre I guess, is the goal of preaching now. Of course, we got the motivation of preaching out of the way. The motivation is, is God compels us. God compels us. God moves us to preach. He wants us to preach for your comfort. He wants us to preach for your edification. Ultimately, He wants us to preach so you'll believe it. So you'll be converted to the truth. The full, the acknowledgement of the truth. What's the truth? That He's finished. That if you'll just call on Him, 
You can find comfort there that you can't find anywhere else. He says, for the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He says, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. He says, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's saving in believing. I want to go back to preachers just for a minute. Because he says, well, there's a problem here. There's a problem. <clears throat> now, now listen. Back to that. Uh, and Brother Houston uses an example. And I can't remember the example that he uses. But he uses an example of, of soldiers from some, some war. And I can't remember which one it is. But I'm certain this has happened more than once. Men have been on the battlefield fighting for their lives. <clears throat> and somewhere far away in some some uh, some other land, the the generals and the kings and the presidents have got together and they've signed this treaty, and the war's ended. And you got these soldiers over here, and they're still fighting, and possibly even killing each other. Why? Because they hadn't heard. They hadn't heard the war's ended. Do them fighting, do them continuing the fight means, does that mean the war hasn't ended? No, it means the war is over. But there's, they continue to do battle just like it's not. You see, that's what much the world does today. They don't know that their warfare has been accomplished. Isaiah 40. They don't know that their warfare has been accomplished for them and they strive that they still are out there fighting that fight trying to accomplish something that they have no ability to accomplish. Does it mean it's not applicable to them? Does it mean for the soldiers they're still fighting that the war's not over for them? Well, it is over. And if everybody just knew it and believed it and heard it, that they could all set their, lay their guns down and walk away and be free. But they don't. Because it doesn't happen the same way for everybody. Paul says, uh, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But. How? The, the but's not there. I put that in. Verse 14. How then shall they call upon him, on him in whom they have not believed? You ever going to call on somebody you don't believe? For help, that is. Because that's the that's the context. For help. Do you need help? Remember the movie back in the it was the eighties? The Ghostbusters? Remember that? Who are you gonna call? Well, people called them because they thought they could help. I mean that was the that's the idea. You see, so often we even those of us who've been told we don't call on the name of the Lord because we think we can do it ourselves. There's no salvation in that. None. No salvation in that. And you know what that means? It means you need to be more converted. <laughs> How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Back to the preacher again. 
It's an important job. And let me tell you, like old uh, brother, uh, uh, shoot, um, British preacher, uh, what was his name? No. Um, Spurgeon, thank you. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon always said, uh, preach the gospel every day. And he wasn't just talking to preachers. Preach the gospel every day. And he says, and if you have to, speak. <laughs> That's how we ought to be as God's people. We ought to be preaching the gospel every day, wherever we go. I don't think this is just for preachers now, but it's for all of God's children. The Apostle Peter says uh, that we ought to always be ready to give an answer to them who asketh thee a reason for the hope that lies within you. <laughs> With meekness and fear, we ought to be able to do that. <laughs> We ought to be able to give that response. Give that reason. Because you know what that will do? It might help convert somebody a little. You never know. He says, how are they going to hear without preaching? How are they going to preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of the preachers, of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, again, there's a but here. <laughs> a little conjunction. I don't know if i got enough time to finish this or not. But this is important. Let me just listen to what he says here. He's, he's quoting a verse. He's quoting a verse, and I'm going to read a little from that verse. And it's going to, talk, it's going to help us understand the desired goal of the gospel. Okay? Paul says, but they have not all obeyed. Just because they heard didn't mean they're going to obey. You see, that's that he gets wrapped back around to if you just call, you could be delivered from that. Now, this isn't an eternal deliverance. This isn't a deliverance to heaven. This is a deliverance right here, right now, in this life, by giving a full assurance to Christ. Understanding what it is he's done for you. What will it deliver you from? It'll deliver you from worry, it'll deliver you from fear. It'll deliver you from, from anxiety, from, from thinking about somebody over here is going to miss out on eternal salvation because they hadn't heard. Paul says, listen, just because they hear doesn't mean they're going to believe. But he's quoting from somebody. Listen, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, now here's the quote, and I got it bookmarked over here because I had this verse in my mind. They have not all obeyed. The gospel, Isaiah said, Lord, who's believed our report? Let me just read a little bit from that. This is from Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to turn back to that book of Romans just for a minute. Because there's something there I want to get to. Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report? That's Isaiah speaking. Now Isaiah, remember, Isaiah didn't have the name of Jesus. Isaiah didn't have the full, the full gospel picture. He was just preaching what he was told to preach. But his, his motivation was the same. His desire was the same. Who hath believed our report? You see, he felt frustrated because not everybody believed it. He, he felt his, his desire as a preacher was just that they would hear. Why don't they all hear? Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Listen. Listen to what he says. Remember, Isaiah didn't have a clue 
who this was talking about. He had a clue. This is the Messiah. He just didn't know who the Messiah was. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. For he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You see, Jesus doesn't look like it. I don't really know what Jesus looked like. I don't. But I figure he was very common. I figure in his physical appearance, he was very common. You know, the white guy you see in the pictures with the long hair and the flowy beard? I don't think that's what he looked like. I think he was a very common Jewish. Now, they're kind of olive colored, but they have real dark hair. When people looked at him, they didn't think anything of it. He says, as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. That means he wasn't very pretty. And, and when you should see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. There's nothing in him outwardly to make us desire him. He's despised and rejected of men. That's, that's how we feel about him. That's how men felt about Jesus. And don't you think for a second, if you'd have been there in that crowd there on the day of the crucifixion, that you wouldn't have been yelling with the rest of the people, crucify! Because that's what's in us. He says he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Why? We were ashamed. Ashamed of who we are. Ashamed to step up and say, no, he's not guilty. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and, and we esteemed him not. We didn't think much of him. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Surely the preacher says, surely he hath borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet, that's not what we thought. We thought, yeah, we did esteem him, esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We thought, yeah, he deserves that. Not us. And you know what he did? There's that but again. Let me tell you what. That little tiny word, B-U-T, is one of the greatest words in all of Scripture. A great conjunction. Surely he bore our griefs and sorrows. Surely he did, the preacher says. And we said, nah, he deserved what he got. He just deserved what he got. And you know what? If I was not a guilty man, and you can read about this over in what is it, Romans chapter five, the last half, the last half of the book of, of Romans chapter five, I think. I think it's where it's at. But but if somebody had said, we're gonna we're gonna put you to death for the crimes of somebody else, and and they're back there in the back saying he deserves it. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to find the closest door and I'm gone. But not my Lord. 
not Jesus. But he was wounded for our transgressions. You see that? You see, we thought he deserved it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment required for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes were healed. That's the gospel. That's the gospel truth. And you know what? The sooner we accept that, the more, the sooner we'll find peace. So often we, we think that, oh, if you just you just believe it. Apostle Paul, the one using that that talk over there in the book of Romans about the, um, you know, everybody hadn't believed because they just won't because a lot of us are just stubborn. And he's not talking about the lost world, okay? He's not talking about the non-elect. Paul's talking about God's children. Paul's talking about God's children who are misled or who are uh, been deceived by another gospel. And you keep reading over there and he in that in our text, and that's what he's talking about, deceived by another gospel. Paul makes a statement though in the third chapter of Romans, and I'm just going to read that before I get back to my text. I've got ten minutes. He says, uh, Romans three and three, one of my favorite verses. What if some did not believe? What if? What if some did not believe? He asked the question. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Do you hear the question? What if some didn't believe what it is God has done for them? Now, most of Scripture, at least in the, when we're preaching the gospel, most of Scripture is, is aimed toward your full assurance. It's aimed for your comfort. And, and how do you get that? You only get that by believing, by acknowledging the truth. You see, that's the difference between the gospel being an advertisement and the gospel being a fact. You see, if the gospel was an advertisement, you believing the truth would mean you earned going to heaven by believing the truth. But you see, the gospel is not an advertisement because what if some don't believe? Does it mean that God is no longer faithful? How's he respond? God forbid. <laughs> you see, regardless of what we believe, regardless of what we think, regardless of how we respond to God, for all of God's children, and like I said, when I was talking about all of those other doctrines, all of the other doctrines that, that we talk about, how election, what part did you play in election? Zero. Uh, in in uh, 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 atonement, what part did you play in atonement, especially? How, how much, how, what did you contribute to the atonement? 
Remember what he just said in the book of Isaiah, the chastisement of him, our chastisement, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He paid the atonement. He did everything required for the atonement. What about, what about, uh, uh, irresistible grace? What, what part did you play in irresistible grace? <laughs> Absolutely nothing except for the fact that you were the recipient of it. Just like the atonement. What'd you play in the, what part did you play in the atonement? Absolutely nothing except you were the recipient of it. What part did you play in election? Absolutely nothing except you were the recipient of it. This, this particular doctrine though, this uh, conversion, it's for us. It's for our peace. What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith, the faithfulness of God without effect? God forbid. Absolutely not. You can have full assurance of that. Believe it. Why? Because that's what the scripture says. Let me just, there's a lot of text here in this second chapter. I just want to skip over and just grab one little one. And I'm going to close with that. Paul talks about this, um, his desire for them, you know, that they might be, and how's he put it here? Um, He says, I want you to know and I'm going to just finish this, and I'm going to grab one little, one little text. He says, he says uh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches and the full assurance of understanding to the, to the, to the point is, to the acknowledging of the truth, now, to the acknowledging, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, here's why I'm preaching, lest any man beguile you. (laughs) Don't get tricked by all the false gospels that are out there in the world because they are out there. And that's what Paul's talking about. But let me get, let me get to the, let me get to the end of the story again on the gospel. Um, Let's see. Uh, Let's see, good place. Thirteen. Let me start at thirteen. Two thirteen. Colossians two thirteen. I'll finish with this. Lord willing. He says, and you and he just gives us again our condition, the state that he found that the God all of God's children are in. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he Quicken together with him having, listen, listen to the tense of the verbs, listen to the tense, having, that's past tense, having. That's not an advertisement, brothers and sisters. That's a declaration. Having forgiven you all trespasses. I mean, I wake up all the time and I look in that mirror and I think, gosh, remember what you did yesterday? Remember what you didn't do yesterday? Remember the things you've left undone? And you know what I ought to be doing? Claiming the mercies of David. The sure mercies of David. His mercies are new every morning. Why? Because he's forgiven me all trespasses. Not just the ones I'm going to commit today. The ones I'm going to commit for the rest of my life. All. What happened to them? Where did they go? Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took those out of the way and he nailed them to his cross. May God help us to remember just that. The finished work of Christ. That's my prayer.